Welcome to DJCC On Air, the destination for Dallas area young professionals. Looking to take it to the next level personally and professionally? You've come to the right place. We connect you with cutting edge thought leaders who share the secrets to driving successful businesses. We infuse your lifestyle with business, networking, information, and innovation, all while covering the top trending topics for young professionals. This is DJCC On Air. And now, here are your hosts. Hello and welcome to DJCC On Air. I'm Zach Lewis, and this episode's going to be a little different than our normal ones. Normally with DJCC On Air, it's myself, uh, maybe Sarah or Kristen or anybody I can really wrangle to get on the mic with me uh, to talk about a happy hour we're at or something that's going on with DJCC. And we do that here except it's not me hosting. Let me explain. Last time we had a DJCC happy hour, it was at RJ's Mexican Cuisine. It was incredible. I hope you guys were there. But we didn't host the show. We did a show for another individual we know, a guy named Jerry Acuff. He's brilliant. Check out his books, The Relationship Edge, and stop acting like a seller and start thinking like a buyer. Jerry's show, uh, The Jerry Acuff Show, is a podcast that I'm also a little involved in. And we wanted Jerry to get out to this event because he does networking. He does work with millennials. And we figured, okay, well, what better opportunity than to kind of connect him with the DJCC? Unfortunately, we only had time to do one show. And I thought to myself, well, maybe we could... Maybe we could just repurpose it. So, I'm recording this little intro in front of what will be the episode you'll hear. It will be an episode of the Jerry Acuff Show. I promise it is just as good as every DJCC we've ever done, if not better, honestly. So, go ahead and listen. Check it out. Check out Jerry's books, and hopefully we'll see you at the next happy hour. Thanks for listening. This has been DJCC On Air. Well, welcome to the Jerry Acuff Show. We are at RJ's Mexican Cuisine in the heart of downtown Dallas, Texas. We're actually at a, a Junior Chamber of Commerce uh, happy hour. And uh, so we're going to do some interviews today with folks that are in associated with the Dallas Junior Chamber of Commerce. And our first guest, who I'm really excited to talk to, is Dr. David Henderson. Dr. Henderson is a psychiatrist here in Dallas, and we've had a brief conversation because I know enough about medicine to be dangerous. It's fascinating how similar we think about human communication. He knows 58 times more than I do. Dr. Henderson, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, how'd you wind up as a psychiatrist? How'd you wind up in, in Dallas? And what do you love about what you do? You know, I love psychiatry because it is uh, the, the process of working with someone through their trauma, through stress, through anxiety, through depression, essentially through anything mentally or emotionally painful and getting them to a place where they've transformed the tragedies in their life into triumphs. And um, for me, to be able to walk with a person through that process is probably one of the greatest privileges I've ever experienced in my life. It's also one of the most rewarding experiences. When I've had a client that's come to see me and I've worked with them for a year, sometimes two years right. or longer, and I can see the progression of their life, right. see the light bulb going on as they're processing uh, things with me in the sessions and making these transform transformations, taking those steps necessary to change their life. Right. It's, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And so that's my passion, it's what I love to do, and it's the message that I wanna uh, share with people is, is that life can produce amazing things, even in the midst of very painful circumstances. Right. 
you know, one of the things we talked about before, which I think is crucial, I've always said that the key to all growth and development for human beings, you know, from what I believe, is self-awareness. I mean, you have to have some real understanding of where you are before you can sort of go someplace else. And it, it seems to me that that's a crucial part of what you have to try and unpack for people. Is that right? It's the, it's the essential piece. Right. You have to have that self-awareness. And if you think about the way the brain works, we naturally shy away from self-awareness. The brain is like a, a, a very complex computer system. And when you've got a whole bunch of windows open on your computer, it runs slower. And when you lack that self-awareness, you find yourself making decisions rotely that, um, that, that have maybe been pushed into your system early on in your life may have worked at that time, but don't work any longer in your life. And yet, if you're not conscious of that, you keep engaging and reenacting the same patterns over and over and over again. You know, I, I think about folks, for example, when they drive home from work. How many of us drive home from work and we're listening to music or we're talking on the phone or we're looking out the window? We don't even remember getting from point A to point B. Why? Because <laughs> we've driven it so many times. Right that it's just in the background right. and we're thinking about other things. And honestly, that's what happens mentally and emotionally with the clients that I see is that they're engaging in their day-to-day -day life, not really thinking about the emotional, psychological factors that are influencing them under the surface. And that's what therapy is really all about. It's bringing that to their awareness so that we can talk about it and so that we can change some of those patterns of behavior. Right. And that's exciting. Well, you know, I'm, I was a, have been a student of Maxwell Maltz, who wrote the book Psycho-Cybernetics in 1961, and I've read it 69 times. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And, um, and it's had a huge impact on my life because it taught me that there's three dimensions of human performance. There's the intellectual, you know, two and two is four. But it, the intellect is not a predictor of performance. Right? Correct. So then there's the emotional component. Right, and but emotions are very difficult for uh, if you're a leader like me, hard to manage. But we know that how a person feels determines their behavior more than what they know. We know that there's days when I feel great and I can do boundless things, and there's days when I don't feel like I can accomplish anything. Sure, and, and as it turns out, I don't. The thing that, that Maltz, I think, really laser in on me was this whole concept of the self-image that my self-image is this sort of compilation of all of the things that have happened to me all the experiences I've had in my life both real and imagined and it's created this vision of who I am sure. and the only way that I can actually grow beyond that is I have to change that view absolutely now one of the things I find interesting about the parallel between what you do and what I do is you in your business are a catalyst for that person changing their I am dimension. Right. And what great leaders do is exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. When I was 37 years old, I, my life's dream was to be a regional manager with a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. And I'd come from a very poor background, you know, parents were married nine times, mother was drunk for 30 years, stepfather pulled a gun on me twice, you know, didn't come from the best sort of environment. So. Mm -hmm. Being a regional manager and you know making 150,000 bucks a year was like dying going to heaven. Mm -hmm. So I competed for a job as a regional manager when I was 37 and I lost. But the guy that beat me the night that that he got the job, he came to me. He lived in Tampa and I lived in Birmingham. And he comes to me and here's what he says to me. He says, "You know, I came here to tell you two things. I came here to tell you that." You should have got this job, not me. 
you're far more qualified to do this than I am. But they didn't give it to you, they gave it to me. And I ain't giving it back. Huh. He said, but I'm going to tell you this. This job's not big enough for you. You need to be running our company. And he said, I will not stop advocating on your behalf until you're running our company. Wow. And five years later, I was running the company. Now, what he did for me is what I think you do for your clients, is you get them to see something that's inside of them that you can see that they can't see. Absolutely. And fundamentally, what I tell people when I talk is that once you understand this as a human being, you don't have to be a psychiatrist to change other people's lives. What you have to do is to try and understand the greatness that's in people and help bring that out. Because almost everybody who has a life-changing experience needs a catalyst. So people who have you know, uh, mental challenges need a psychiatrist. And far too few of them go that have mental challenges that can really benefit from psychiatric care. Well, the cool, cool thing about that story is is that this man who spoke into your life changed the trajectory of it. Yes. And, you know, the, the, the question was, is what motivated him right. to speak into you like that? I yeah. guarantee you it's because he saw something in you that resonated with his life experience, and he was giving back from the experiences that he's had. Right. He, he gave, was giving back to you. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's true of of therapy as well. As I'm always asking the question, what motivates people? Right. What motivates me? And it's interesting because at any given moment in time, I'll ask folks, what what's driving you? What's motivating you? They'll say things like, well, you know, I really didn't want to go to the gym today, but I knew my doctor would be upset with me, so I went right. and I went and worked out. Well. The reality is, is that they were motivated to go to the gym. It's just that their motivation was based in fear. They were going to get right, in trouble right, right. with their doctor, right. and so they decided to go. I always get folks to shift that motivation to something positive, right. something that produces a sense of purpose, yeah. a sense of identity, a sense of value. And if you can get someone from you know, that point like this gentleman did for you. He, he spoke into you that there's something that you can do. There's, there's value that you bring to the table, and I want to see that happen. You adopted that mindset and mentality, and that drove you forward. And that, that's, that's the exciting thing is, is that when you tap into what's driving a person, what's motivating them, and then you can get them to shift that motivation. Right. That's where you see positive right. change. I read an article this week in the Harvard Business Review. It was actually written in May of 2016. And it was called Love Network. You have to learn to love network. And what was fascinating about this article is it's so much exactly what you just said. Because what they said was there's fundamentally two mindsets about networking. And I actually wrote this blog because I was coming here tonight knowing that this is semi-networking event, et cetera, right? Yeah. So I said, well, what are, the th what are the mindsets that you need to actually be good at networking? Well, the first thing I realized was there's, there's two mindsets. One is a promotion mindset. The other one's a prevention mindset. Mm -hmm. So the prevention mindset is I have to do this because if I don't, I'm going to be fired. Or if I don't, I'm not going to have job security. So as you, just like what you described, it's the wrong motivation. Right. The the person with the promotion mindset comes here and says, I'm going to meet some really interesting people, like I've met you, mm -hmm. and I'm going, to, I'm going to benefit from either that exchange or from the fact that we've built that relationship, and so I'm excited about that. But So it, there's a huge difference in how you get someone to shift their, their mindset, and, you know, I do it, you know, just sort of by the seat of my pants, you do it for a living. Absolutely. Well, well, you know, and that's a, that's a great point is, is that the question really becomes, 
risk versus reward. Right. And when you get someone to understand that the risk that they're taking is worth the reward that they're pursuing, right. that's when they start taking steps forward. Mm-hmm. When they believe that the risk is too great, they're going to hold back. You right. know, you, you've heard, we've heard that saying over and over again that says, you know, change only occurs when the pain of staying the same mm-hmm. gets too great, right. basically. Right. Uh, you, you've got to confront people, and I ask this question all the time, what is at stake for you right now? Right. You know, in what you're doing and how you're acting, what's at stake? Right. And if you get people to lay out specifically the risk that they're worried about and the reward that they imagine that they can have, and you push them towards the reward and you get them acting in that and saying, this is worth it. It's, it's, it's worth it to go out to that social event and interact with people because of the friends you're going to experience. Right. People are afraid of rejection, for example. Yeah. I tell folks, you know, you know what, if you go out and you talk to a hundred different people, you may get rejected by 80 of them. That's 80%. That's a huge number. And yet if 20% engage you, and want to have a relationship with you, whether it's through friendship or romance or whatever, if 20% want that, that's 20 people. Right. And and if you can understand that mindset and, and, and move forward in that respect, it, it, it really shifts people's shifts people's attitudes. And, but so much of your business and my business are similar because fundamentally, so much of success, whether it's you know mental health or whether it's success in life, is a function of your mindset. How do you actually think about things? And I, I talk about people all the time. People say to me, you know, you know, I was going to call you, but I know how busy you are. Mm-hmm. And I said, first place, you don't have a clue how busy I am. I said, I've written three best-selling books on relationship building. And I tell people, if you want a relationship with somebody, go get it. Only two things will happen. You'll either find out that that person's a jerk, in which case, wouldn't you want to know that? Yeah. Or you're going to find out that that person actually is somebody that you'd like to have a relationship with. So there's no losing in this thing. Right. It's just a question of what you consider a win. The nice thing for me is, is that I see a lot of clients that are not in that position where they're ready to change. Right. They're there in my office. They understand there's a problem, but they're, they're scared and they want to be heard they want to be known but they're not ready for change right and what I've learned over the years as I've been doing this in my practice is when I take a step back and I relax and I give them permission to stay the way they are right and tell them I'm gonna be here with you right whether you change and whether you do some of the things that we're talking about or not I will always be here they relax right they open up and eventually they do develop the courage to make those steps forward. And I think, you know, sometimes when, when people, you know, are, are talking to someone who's struggling, we, we throw out the solutions, we throw out the answers, and we say, look, if you don't do this, I'm done with you. And in relationships, I think the value is in sticking with someone through the process of change. Right. And recognizing that it comes fast for some and it comes slowly for others but we've got to stay in the mix. We've got to stay in there. And any of us who've experienced suffering, anybody who has experienced depression or anxiety, understands how difficult it is. Even when you've got the head knowledge of what you're supposed to do, emotionally, the process of change is very, very hard. And man, I'm personally so thankful for the people in my life that have stuck with me 
through those difficult times and through my resistance to that change. And, and that's what I would impart to the, the clients that I, that I work with is, hey, we're in it for the long haul. We're going to stick through this. And no matter how quickly or slowly change comes, we're going to do this. And but the other thing that you're transmitting to people with your approach, seems to me, my amateur psychology, is your belief in them. And we want the believers in us to be right. Absolutely. And it may take us a while to make them right. Right. You know, and I think what you're saying is you have to have the patience to do that. That's no different in sales. Right. You know, because a lot of times people are not ready to change. You know, your, some of your biggest obstacles are simply inertia. Yep. And if people don't, A, understand the negative consequences of not changing, juxtapose that with the benefits of changing, sometimes it takes a long time to get a person there. You're absolutely and right. if you're not patient, I mean, I have a client, one of my best clients, it took me nine years to get him to buy from me. Wow. Nine years. Now, a lot of people say, why the hell did you keep calling on me? <laughs> and I say, because I knew that sooner or later, this guy was going to do business with sure. me. I just believed it. Now, I didn't hound him. I called him a couple of times a year. And then the next thing you know, nine years later, he calls me. I got to use you. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that you're doing. It's Absolutely. fabulous meeting you. I really appreciate Absolutely. what you're Great saying. Great to meet the you. The parallels in our in our work are incredible. Yours is based on science. Mine's based on I'm making stuff up. <laughs> but uh, it's great to meet you. Well, we need to continue the conversation. Well, I'd love to do point. that. Thank yeah. you so much. I Thanks, Dr. It. Anderson. Ready, set, socialize. More of BJCC on air in just a moment. Our next guest is Charles Jones, and Charles owns a uh, business that Charles works for a business. Charles works for a business that secures homes. Charles work for ADT. Oh, is that right? Yes, I build their, one of their websites. Is that right? Yeah. Wow, I have ADT. Yeah, well, awesome. Thanks for paying my salary. <laughs> I don't think our our fee pays your salary, Charles. Yeah, but, but you know what? You and all of your neighbors and most of the people in the next county do cover my salary. Is that right? Wow. <laughs> so Charles is the web developer for ADT, which is a wonderful company and protects probably one or two of my homes. Uh, well, that's good to know. Loyal customers are what we need. Well, I mean, I don't. It's a service. I don't know how people do without. You know. I, you know, I, I just bought my house in April, and the second thing I did after getting new locks put on was get ADT. And stuff. Is that right? So, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about right before we got started here was your journey with the uh, with the Dallas Junior Chamber, and I and I asked you the question, uh, you know, was this a big networking opportunity? And you said, not really. You hadn't gotten a ton of business from this, but that you had gotten some other benefits. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, the, the chamber is a lot of things to a lot of people, but it's not usually the same thing to any two, two people. Um, for me, uh, I was, you know, I'm in tech. I was really lacking in social skills um, when I came around. Um, the one story I remember real clearly, I was, uh, was at uh, the Children's Museum here in Dallas with my kids and my ex-wife, and um, some friends from college showed up. And I remember the conversation vaguely, but the main thing I remember was the blank stares on their faces right before they walked away after about 10 seconds of dead air. We just kind of made awkward eye contact. Um, 
that was, you know, I, I wrote a lot at the time. I was in grad school and I, I was writing, you know, probably four or 5,000 words a week for school. And I was writing a blog as well. And I remember writing a post about my lack of social skills. And if I had the social skills that went uh, along with the writing skills I had at the time, I'd have been fine. But they were atrocious. Um, so I met our uh, 2011 president at work. Um, and I watched him, you know, go out, have fun, meet a bunch of people. Like he'd meet people outside the office after work to go hang out downtown and I decided to tag along one day and it was a chamber event and um, after a lot of trial and error I started I got the opportunity to build those social skills you know I come out and sometimes it's once a month but everybody you know goes goes out a little bit more than that so right, right. get a lot more opportunities to meet people and build those skills and just kind of get to learn how to talk to people right but you know one of the things I find about millennials is I've done a lot of writing about millennials is that their their reliance on technology is a wonderful thing but it also in some cases deprives them as the kind of social skills that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 kind of at the edge of the millennials right. like I did um, when I was a kid we um, we did have the the kitchen phone with the 30 foot long wire <laughs> coiled up yeah, wire. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that it, so um, my parents both worked at IBM, so we got on technology bandwagons really early. So I had a cell phone in 1999, probably, um, and you know was already doing text messaging rather than talking by 2002, right. 2003. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I can see, like, I remember having to talk to people on the phone in order to get anything done. And right now, like, if somebody calls me and they haven't texted me to tell me that they're calling, I don't answer. I will text them back, what do you need? Um, so, yeah, I can totally see how, like, the the reliance on technology it, it does a lot of things like my job wouldn't exist if not for the right 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 reliance on technology but it does uh, it does hold some things back if you don't make an effort to get to know people personally well one of the th theories that I have about this whole thing is that the average millennial let's take you know my I have a, seven, a son who's at the end of the millennial thing he's right. like seventeen or eighteen okay. um, and, and you know he'll sit across from the dinner and text you I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I've had those uh, conversations with people, yeah, yeah sitting, sitting and, four feet away exactly. and not talking. Uh, but I, but I believe that the 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 likelihood that millennials will get into the workforce and do what you did is pretty high, because I think at some point in time you'll come to the realization that you actually need a combination of technical skills and uh, and social skills in order to to, to to achieve the kind of things that you want, both personally and professionally. Well, so. My thought on that is a little bit different. You know, my in my industry, we actually, I've got an employee in Ukraine right now, and we have spoken probably three times in six months. Um, all of our communication is digital. Uh, he does a wonderful job. He gets his work done. We're, we're able to communicate and, and get organized as we need to. Um, I think that professionally, a lot of millennials are going to need less and less interaction, even with their bosses, that interaction to get, unless you're going to go be going into sales or in retail, like, right. it's not going to take a lot of, um, not taking a lot of those soft skills to get the job that you want. If you're in engineering or, right. um, you know, you're in development or something like that, data analysis is real big too. Um, but personally, if you want to meet, if you want to be with people, you're going to have to go meet people. And right. that's where, you know. You, if you don't get that interaction at work and you're not getting the interaction that you would normally get in school, it's harder to get right. to know people and learn how to interact socially. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, over the last probably two years, I've seen a lot of articles about people like, particularly like early 20s, struggling in dating and people are getting married later and they're struggling in dating and relationships because, um, I think, because they don't get that opportunity to, to right. meet people and just like 
socialize normally. And so socialization gets harder, dating gets harder, family life gets more fractured, that kind of thing. So I mean, there, there's a lot to be gained from, say, coming out to RJ's Mexican cuisine and having a margarita with some strangers. Right. Yeah. I, I've written three best-selling books on relationship building. And one of the things I try and get people to understand is that you know, networking is not overly complex and having social skills isn't complex. You don't have to talk about yourself. What you need to do is just go be interested in other people. And because people want to talk about themselves. Sure, I love talking and, about them. Well, everybody does. And so, uh, but so, but if you're a decent listener and you actually don't mind finding out about other people, you can have great social skills. Sure. You know, you don't have, now I'm an introvert by training. Um, you know, what I, does that mean by training? Well, I mean, I, I grew up as an introvert. I was never, I was always shy. I quit my first sales job. I mean, I'm rated one of the top five sales experts in the world. When I first sales job, I quit because I couldn't get out of the car and call on customers. So I had to train myself mm -hmm. to have selling skills the way you trained yourself, you know, around social skills. Um, but if, but once you understand that all you really have to do to build relationships with people is to go really care about them. Yeah ask them some questions, try and understand who they are, and then see, do you have some shared substantive interest? Then you can have all kinds of relationships. Yeah. You don't have to be, the problem is a lot of people think that great social skills and networking requires you to be extroverted, requires mm -hmm. you to have the yeah. gift of gab, and that's just not true at well, all. I mean, I, the, one of the biggest things that I learned is that you can learn to be social. Like, you can learn to have social skills if you don't have them. You're not a lost cause because you are, if you're introverted or quiet or you say strange things at times, that was really my problem. Like, the things that I would, I don't know, I, they made sense to me at the time, and then I would see someone's reaction and be like, that didn't come out right. right. I don't really know what happened. Um, but you can learn, you can learn how to read situations, you can learn how to have conversations, um, and to, I mean, if, for lack of a better idea, you can learn to be interesting right. and interested in other people. So, I mean, that was that was a big deal to me because feeling like um, I couldn't learn how to do it and I was just kind of a lost cause, you had to hope for some good fortune, um, was, was really exhausting. Wow. Well, I appreciate you being on. I would say to you, though, that the real lesson here to me is not that you got social skills, is that you were self-aware enough to know that you ought to get them. And to me, the key to all growth and development, regardless of whether it's, you know, be more extroverted or to to actually, uh, you know, be more social, is to be self-aware enough to know I probably ought to go do something yep. to improve myself. And yep. so Gotta that mentality will steps. carry a long way. Yeah. Thanks, thank man. You. It's great to yeah, meet you. Of course. Yeah. Congratulations on your engagement. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Now's a good time to practice those networking skills. DJCC On Air will be right back. Our third and final guest here at RJ's Mexican Cuisine in the heart of downtown Dallas is Jaron Griffin, a very interesting young man who's regional vice president for Primerica uh, in Fort Worth. Yes, sir. And so it's exciting to uh, get a chance to meet you. Thank you for your service. Jaron was you, in the sir. service for for four years. I went to a military college. Yes, sir. I got to be in the service for 90 days. Okay. And I'll guarantee I did something in the service you did not do. What was that? I was in a tank that burned up. And if you've ever been the last guy in a tank that burned up, let me just say this, you don't want to be there. And what was even worse is once the tank burned up and I got out of it, then I got a letter from the Army a month later saying that if they could prove that we didn't do maintenance on it, we had to pay for the tank and stay in until I was 100. Wow. And so thank God we'd done the maintenance. But anyway, yes, sir. I'm sure your military experience wasn't like that. 
not quite, <laughs> but thank you for your service. I well, appreciate it. Uh, well, listen, it's great to meet you. Yes, I, one of the things that you mentioned was a lot of your business is actually r related to, to being persuasive and selling. Is that yes, fair? Sir. What yes. are some of the characteristics of the best people in your business, Karen? What are some of the things that you say, you know, when I'm looking to hire somebody, these are the things that I'm looking for? Absolutely. Uh, great question, Mr. Jerry. I thank you for your time, and I appreciate you mm -hmm. ha having me on here. I would say one of the things that are important for a person to be successful in sales uh, obviously would be grit, right? Uh, determination, not being deterred by obstacles because those are going to come. Uh, a lot of intangibles, more or less than uh, selling techniques, right. more of the intangibles, what's in a person's heart right. is really what's going to push you over the edge because a lot of times where you don't want to sell, you don't want to talk to anybody, you don't want to do anything, you don't want to hear anything, you don't want to do a presentation, any <clears throat> of that stuff. Right. But having that grit and determination uh, and understanding why. What's your why? Why are you doing? Right, you know, are yeah. you just doing it for money, or what? What's the goal? What is your, what's right. your ultimate goal? So that's my opinion on that. Well, I love that because you know that there's lots of data that shows that when you when you work in purpose. Uh, yes, or when you understand your why, you can be far more successful. I don't know if you've seen Michael Jr.'s video on purpose. No, you sorry. have to watch it. Okay. And if you, anybody who's listened to this, if you have not, just go on uh, the Internet and type in Michael Jr. plus purpose, and what you'll watch is an African-American man who sings Amazing Grace twice. And the difference between the first time he sings it and the second time he sings it is unbelievable. And the second time he sings it, he sings it in purpose. In purpose. And what you see is how your why affects your what. Wow. How your why affects how good you do what you do. Now, the other thing I loved about what you said about grit, I wrote a blog about a month ago. Yes, sir. And it was, it's not easy. I was, I was doing a coaching selling session for one of my clients, and I had 21 managers. The average manager in the room had been a manager for 21 years. Yes, and so we're talking about how do you coach selling? How do you actually take somebody that's not great at selling and make them great at selling? Mm -hmm. And about halfway through this two-and-a-half-day course, one of their managers who had been there 31 years as a manager says this to me, this isn't easy. Hmm. And so I wrote a blog that week, and I said, it's not easy being a single parent. It's not easy having a spouse or a loved one in Afghanistan. It's not easy being homeless. It's right. not easy... Uh, you know, having to work two jobs. Yes, sir. It's it's not easy having a mate in prison. Right. There's a lot of things in life that ain't easy. Oh, wow. And so the truth is most people who succeed are the ones who do it even if it ain't easy. Anyway. But do they anyway. do it because they know it means something. That's right. What you're saying is when you have that purpose, that's the meaning that it gives. Oh, absolutely. So how do you ordinarily teach people about selling? I mean, do you have to go through a course or... Or well, something like that? Yes, sir. Obviously, we teach people the fundamentals uh, of what we teach and what we believe and what we do. But then it's more of a, uh, and I tell people, you know, we, we tell people you, 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 you learn the business and you do it. That's how you learn the business, by doing right, it. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. You don't learn it, then do it. Right. And so many times, I think a lot of people are really programmed to be employees and they have an employee mindset, a work processor mindset instead of a work creator mindset, and they find obstacles. They don't focus on the opportunity. They focus on the obstacle. Right. And because their mindset is focused on the obstacle, they don't find solutions. Right. And as entrepreneurs, I believe that's one of the ways we get paid is by finding solutions to people's problems, whether it be you can be a plumber, whether you be in financial services, whether it be in whatever it is that you're doing. 
I believe the more service, the more value you bring to people, the more money you make. So uh, the selling technique is one thing, obviously, but understanding, again, why, and then the value you bring to people. You right. know, I think it's, it's really in the value. Yeah, one of the things I write in my book, Stop Acting Like a Seller, Start Thinking Like a Buyer, is that, you know, that the most important thing to be successful in selling is exactly what you said, it's your mindset. So what kind of mindset do I need to have? Well, the first thing I need is the right definition of selling. And I would submit to you that if you got 25 salespeople and you ask those 25 salespeople to write down their definition of selling, how many definitions do you think you're going to get? <laughs> 25. 25. Yes, and that's sir. not good. Yes, sir. So what we have to do as sales leaders is teach people what is the right definition of selling. Second thing is that once, I, once you understand what selling is, then it's a whole lot easier for you to do it because what you'll understand is it's completely consistent with your personality. Right. I quit my first sales job because I couldn't get out of the car and call on customers because I thought that I had to go and browbeat these people to buy something that they didn't want to buy. Right. And as long as I believed that's what selling was, I couldn't do it. Right. Now, I have a different definition of selling, and I'm, I'm fairly good at it. So you got to have the right mindset. The second thing is your intent's got to be right. Right. In other words, why am I doing this? That's right. You know? And the third thing is you have to understand that what makes you successful is fundamentally three things. Your knowledge. Because if you're an idiot, nobody wants to do business with you. I agree. Right? Messaging how you say what you say. Because how you say what you say really, really matters. And then the last one is uh, relationships. Because if I have a relationship with you, you're more likely to want to listen to what I have to say, and you listen with an open mind. Right. So I want people to understand, if you, those are your mindsets, now we can teach you to sell. Because if you have those mindsets, the rest of it's fairly easy. Yes, sir. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. So I had, a, I had, a, I had a, uh, one of my really, really good friends, 40 years old, a black engineer of the year for Lockheed Martin, okay. which has 170,000 employees. Okay. And he started his own leadership business. His name is Andre Thornton. He's one of the s sharpest people I've ever met. He likes to be staying at my house this weekend because we both are on the board of this, of the Athletic Foundation in my college. Yes, sir. He sends me a message last week, and he asked the question, um, how, what do you, how do you answer the question when somebody asks you about return on investment with your, with your training program? Because we sell training, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, you don't let them ask you the question. Well, how do you do that? I said, you ask them before they ask you, how do you ordinarily assign a return on investment to all these leadership initiatives that you have? Mm -hmm. And you know what the answer is going to be? We can't. Now, once they tell you they can't, they ain't going to ask you if you can. And so what I believe is that there's a finite number of things that happen in selling. And what great sales leaders do is they teach people how do you effectively deal with those situations. And that's but the only way to do that is exactly, Garen, what you said, go do it. Right. Because it's the old, you know, Daniel Pink 10,000 hours before you develop expertise. Yes, sir. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. All right, so let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you one more question, and okay. we're going to close this okay. out. You're sitting with, and I don't say this to impress anybody, because I wouldn't be number five if my ex-wife voted, but I am, <laughs> <laughs> I might be number seven or eight, <laughs> but I rated the number five best sales expert in the world yes sir now again who the hell comes up with that right <laughs> but you're sitting with the top sales expert what would you want to ask me about selling now that you got a shot and you doesn't if you don't ask what you want to ask you can ask me after we get off but you know what since i'm since i have that opportunity i'll ask one for the for the for the audience but i'm gonna ask one for myself sure later uh what is the most important thing for longevity and success in sales 
that you would say? Never uh, stop learning. I've read 569 business books since 1981. I read one book 69 times. I read 25 books a year. I own a part of a business book summary service. I read two book summaries a week. So I'm reading 100 book summaries a, a year. I'm reading 25 books a year. I'm 68 years old, be 69 in April. Okay. Um, and here's what I know. The more I learn about selling, the more I learn there is to learn. The most powerful I thing I learned about selling, I learned 18 months ago. And I've been doing this for 40 years. Really? And so the key is to never stop learning. Now, the second key is be devoted to being a professional. If you're going to be great at selling, then by God, commit to being great. Well, most people you know, want to be a success but they're not willing to do what it takes to become a success. Yes, sir. Most people won't read 569 business books. Most people won't read two book summaries a week. Most people won't read 25 books a year. And I'm not talking fiction, because I'm reading 20 of those, but I'm reading 25 business books a year. Why? Because I keep learning. And if you keep learning, your passion stays high, your ability to compete stays at its peak performance because you're constantly learning. So that's the question. Now tell me what your other one is before I let you go. Uh, I'm going to think for it. I'm going to take advantage of that. Since I got one more, I'm going to think and make sure it's a good one. You know what I mean? I really appreciate you coming today. <laughs> so we're going to end you. our uh, podcast here at uh, RJ's Mexican Cuisine, which is a wonderful establishment. If you haven't been here, you ought to come here. Downtown Dallas is a fabulous place to be. This is a wonderful restaurant. The Dallas Junior Chamber of Commerce does terrific, terrific stuff, and I'm excited to be a part of that. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk to these fine folks today. The one thing that's fascinating to me about talking to successful people, they all share the same thing. They share the, the belief that self-awareness is the key to all growth and development. They all share the belief that what separates the great from the not-so-great is your mindset. We can teach people how to do anything. You know, Dr. Henderson taught us that we can actually teach people to, to go from poor mental health to great mental health. We talked to Charles about how you can go from not having social skills to social skills. We talked to Garen about how can you go from, you know, graduate from high school and going to college and being a regional vice president with Prime America by having the right kind of mindset. If you're going to be great at anything, you have to have the mindset. And with that, I will leave you with be incredible.